principles of all of spiritual life. And I think to desire to learn this particular principle and discover the supernatural power of God in our lives is something that not only do we need it every day, it's something that will help us every single day of our walk with the Lord. Uh, We know the Holy Spirit is real because the Bible says so. Obviously, at times, we have people say it or refer to it kind of an impersonal way, but we know that it is uh, a he or the supernatural work of God. It's it, He is God. And so we also know that he is at work in the world today. We know that he indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. Now, a lot of your charismatics and other denominations will seek to interpret that different but they can't differently but they can't get that from the scripture I would uh, venture to say uh, we know we would like to have his personal power alive in us every single day and but I think it all comes down to a practical problem at first and that's that we don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit and let's just be honest uh, as I think David's pointed that out pointed it out to us there are not many songs written about the Holy Spirit of God and you got to go a long way back to find some that are theologically uh, astute or sound but we don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit if we were to say well how much do you know about the Father we know a good bit about the Father how much do you know about the Son of God we will know more about him but what about the Holy Spirit of God if you were asked to pass a midterm exam on the person and work of the Holy Spirit how would you fare How many of you think I'd make 50 on it? 50%. Raise your hand. 25? 10? No hands going up. I suppose you don't know how to answer any of those. Well, the fact of the matter is, we know about the Trinity, even though, if you're honest theologically, you can't explain it. But we know about these things. But the fact of the matter is, again, I don't want to focus on the controversial side of the Holy Spirit as much as I want to focus upon an aspect of the Holy Spirit's work, it's a bigger issue for you in the Christian life than the other controversial issues anyway, and that's the issue of how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? That's the preeminent question. Am I filled with the Spirit? Think about that. If someone approaches you, lost person, saved person, they say to you, are you a Spirit-filled Christian? What would you say? Now draw a circle around yourself. If you're asked, are you filled with the Spirit? What would you say? Uh, amen. That somebody, you're hitting on it back there. Uh, what is your answer? What would you say? It's not easy to answer, and therefore, we're uneasy even considering that at this moment. Am I a Spirit-filled Christian? Let's study the Word and see what the Bible has to say. The first thing we're going to do is look at some common misconceptions And then we're going to define what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And finally, we're going to apply that principle, once we define it, to our Christian life, where the rubber hits the road. So we will learn the what of the Holy Spirit, so we can in turn learn the so what. And that's what all good preaching does, right? you got to learn the what. The Bible can never mean what it never said. And then you've got to learn the so what. So what? And so what? We're going to see that in the Holy Spirit or about the Holy Spirit tonight. 
Now for the quintessential verse in the entire Bible on being filled with the Spirit. Make your way to Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 18, of course, you need to see what's in context before and after. It doesn't stand alone. There's a reason that Paul is giving this to us. As a matter of fact, I've been doing some marriage counseling with some of our folks, premarital counseling. And what you have in Ephesians 5 is redeemed relationships. So when you start thinking about even husband and wife relationships, you can't move away from Ephesians 5 because Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us what we had. Genesis 3 tells us what went wrong with, with relationships. She will desire you. She will desire to rule you, woman's position, and he will seek to domineer you. So the fact of the matter is, that's conflict and confusion in the marital relationship. Well, beginning, if I'm not careful, I'll preach you the whole Bible tonight. But relationships, you start to see that unfold. You shall have no other gods before me, yes. But you've got a right from God to have your wife and no one else can have her, right? So you see that in the Ten Commandments. You, you see the Ten Commandments more than just the do nots or you shouldn't do this. But you see it also as a bill of rights. You have a right to own stuff without somebody stealing it, right? You have a right to your own spouse without somebody coveting your wife. And so, as you see the, the text unfold, you shall not commit adultery. It runs all the way up through the New Testament. And when you get to Ephesians 5, this is what the relationship now looks like when you're saved by grace through faith. This is redeemed familial relationships. And if I had time to preach that, I would show you how a husband is supposed to treat his wife based upon what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So all of this flows out of you being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. So this is huge stuff. If you're not even considering how you're to be controlled by the Spirit, there's no way that husbands can wash their wives by the water of the Word. The question is, is your wife more like Jesus because of you or in spite of you? Well, if you're saved by grace through faith, you have redeemed relationships, then you have a responsibility, men, right? That your wife grows in her sanctification because of you. And so this, this all flows from that issue of being filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. So let's first tackle uh, misconceptions. Here's the verse. Remember, context is king here, okay? You've got to think about context, but here's the verse. And do not, be, and do not get drunk with wine, for, this, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm not uh, akin to preaching one-verse sermons. Y'all know me about better than that. But the fact is, there it is. There is the command to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, what are the common misconceptions of being filled with the Spirit? The first one will be this. It's an emotional experience. Y'all know, you, got a little, you got a pen? Write these things down. Oh, well, we're cheating for you tonight, right? It's on the overhead. <clears throat> but it's an emotional experience. And this is probably the first thing that comes to mind if you're a Baptist and you start thinking about being filled with the Spirit, you start getting these feelings of, oh, man, that's just kind of far out there. And uh, the people that I'm associated with or hear talk about the Spirit of God, they speak of uh, shaking and trembling and falling on the floor and barking like a dog and laughing uncontrollably like the Toronto laughter. And uh, other, some weep, some shout, still others speak in strange tongues. 
And since all these things are done in the name of the Holy Spirit, many people assume that that's what being filled with the Spirit means. That it is some kind of emotional experience and or response to the Holy Spirit. And without stopping to pass judgment on all of this, let me tell you that the filling of the Spirit, according to the Bible, is not primarily anything to do with emotions. Go ahead and put that on the tape. It's running, right? That that is not the primary meaning of the text when it comes to being filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to discount the role of emotion in the Christian life. Uh, I'm one that gets pretty excited. And when you submit to the Lord and God is working in your life, there's, there's nothing wrong with having your affections moved toward God and His holiness. As a matter of fact, if you're not moved with your affections, I've got a question of whether or not you know Him if you're not moved in your affections. But emotions work differently with different people. And there's no way to ever predict how a person is going to respond. I see that when I'm preaching to you. Some of you respond like this. (laughs) And others are on the edge of their seats, listening to the Word and catching every part of it. Uh, You may look like you're zoned out, but you may be getting every bit of it. I mean, people respond in different ways. For some people, coming to Christ will be accompanied by an enormous amount of tears. Others, when they come to Christ, uh, may not shed any tears whatsoever. For many, it's going to be a huge emotional release uh, because you've been carrying that burden around so long and that burden is lifted at Calvary. So others may act totally different. My point is the Holy Spirit's feeling is that the fact is we don't need to feel that we must have some kind of emotional experience in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I believe that when we ask the Lord to fill us, we believe that He has, and we get busy and we serve God. So that's the first thing, an emotional experience. The second thing is, it's only reserved for a few special Christians. You ever thought that before? I mean, the Bible says to be filled with the Spirit, but that's for the pastor and uh, Especially for the youth minister, right? They really need to be filled with the Spirit working with the youth. And we say that that's, it's a common misconception that it's only reserved for a few of the religious elite. We often hear of these unusual, unusual happenings, but we think, well, it doesn't happen to all Christians. So, man, it's got to be reserved for just the super saints, right? They're the ones that are filled with the Spirit. But the Bible makes it absolutely unequivocally clear that we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So misconception one, emotional experience. Misconception two, it's only reserved for the religious elite. And thirdly, it is controversial, therefore it, we'd be better off just to ignore it. And that's what a lot of Baptists do. They think, well, there's been so many excesses with the teaching on the Spirit that we have an overreaction, and we think, well, that's just better... We'll just be a church that addresses the Holy Spirit on occasion. We know He's out there, but we're not going to go overboard. Right? We just don't want to do that because we might sound a little bit like Baptocostal or whatever you want to say. Some even refuse the entire doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That would be a huge, huge mistake if we stepped uh, along those lines. What a huge mistake that would be because the very one who brings you the very presence of Christ in your life is the Holy Spirit of God. So let me reiterate something. We desperately need the Holy Spirit in our day. And so, misconceptions, although they're there, 
you best not forget how important the teaching of the Holy Spirit of God is in your Christian walk. So those are the misconceptions. Now let's deal with the text and talk about what the meaning of being filled with the Holy Spirit is. Note that text. But, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, let me give you a few translations of it through various translations of the Bible. First, the ESV says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The NAS stands for New American Standard. You may have that copy. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The NIV says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, conversely, be filled with the Spirit. And the NLT says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. I like that. And it says, instead, let the Holy Spirit of God control you. So the thought for thought, NLT is not a dynamic equivalent. It's a thought for thought. And that's a good for thought. That's a good thought for thought translation. Let me read it again. Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. And all God's people said, amen. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill you and control you. So... As you get to this passage, clearly in front of us, there's some, there some other observations we can make. Number one, there is a big-time contrast. First thing, face up, right? We can look down and see it on the text, is that there's a contrast between wine and the Holy Spirit of God. All of us see that in the passage. So this direct parallel is drawn between being drunk with wine and being filled with with the Holy Spirit of God. And what is the point of the comparison? And doubtless, the point of comparison is on influence or control. A person under the control of wine experiences altered behavior. You ever been around somebody drunk? That is definitely a good way. Mr. Jerry is back there going like this, right? That's a good way to explain it. Altered behavior. He may say things and do things that he or she would not ordinarily do. Emotions may be heightened for a brief point. They may experience anger for a little while. And then 30 minutes later, they're severely depressed. There's all kind of altered behavior when you are under the influence of wine. So if the person drinks enough wine, his mental processes will be affected And his decision-making processes will be radically altered and most often with a negative result, right? So, likewise, here's the contrast. To be filled with the Holy Spirit produces a change of behavior where you are putting an outside substance into you that alters your behavior, which is alcohol, You've been given the Holy Spirit of God, and He will alter your behavior. Right? He will. And so in the book of Acts, think about altered behavior. These disciples were incredibly timid people, seeking to hide somewhere uh, at the crucifixion, and even hiding before the resurrection. They were shut up, away from everybody. But after the Holy Spirit is given, well, first after the resurrection, then the giving of the Holy Spirit of God, we have flaming evangelist for King Jesus. You have altered behavior. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, here's the altered behavior. Look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise. Folks, the first evidence of being filled with the Spirit is not that you're going to speak in tongues. It's that you're going to have a little bit of wisdom and sense about how to live in this world. Are y'all listening? Right? He's giving you some of the very evidences of being filled with the Spirit right there. As a matter of fact, there are three participial phrases that undergird the command to be filled. And these are given in the text. Giving thanks, submitting, uh, those participles are undergirding it. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, singing, giving thanks, submitting. There's actually four of the participles that undergird the command. So, And all of these things are given to us as attitudes. They're, they're related to the filling of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom for living in this age. Folks, we can stand some of that. Right? God, give... Control us with your spirit so we know how to live in this perverse generation that we're living in. God, give us wisdom. And then it says understanding the will of God. Anybody want to know the will of God? By the way, 99.9% is written right here. People come to me all the time. Pastor, I just don't know the will of God. Here it is. Just hand them a Bible and say right there, 99.9%. Believe, obey what's in this book. And you've got, you're going to have a couple of gray areas, but they're few, Right? They're very few. Most of what's given in the... So, the Holy Spirit works in, uh, together with the Word to help you not only have wisdom in this world, but to understand God's will. And then it says, Have a joyful heart filled with singing to the Lord. A heart filled with thanksgiving. An attitude of mutual submission. Are y'all getting the picture? That those are evidences of the fact that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So, there's a contrast between alcohol... Alter behavior, negative influence. However, when you're controlled by the Spirit of God, you're doing these. You've got wisdom in this world, how to live. You've got understanding to what the will of God is. You're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're being thankful in everything. And there's mutual submission going on in the church body. The second thing I want you to see, not only is there a contrast between wine and being controlled with the Spirit, but there's also... The fact that this is a command. In the Greek, it is in the imperative mode. What does that mean? Well, it's not optional. So we asked the question, are you filled with the Spirit? If you were to say, well, I was yesterday, not today. And it is certainly dependent upon your yieldedness to Christ. We'll learn that in a few moments. But you, if we ask the question, you may or may not be. But you're commanded to be all the time. Right? This is not an option. You're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Every Christian is to be filled with the Spirit of God at all times. And if you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit of God, then you're out of His will. That's pretty plain and simple. And and I know what you're thinking. Son, I'm out of God's will most of the day. Well, you probably are. And I may be too. If we're not allowing Him to control us. Here's the third thing. It's in the present tense. Contrast between wine and being filled with the Spirit of God. Got that in your mind? It's a command, but it's also in the present tense. It means it's a continual action idea. It means you keep on doing something. It's not a one-time event. You know, Pentecostals for years believed that um, were confused with baptism of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And they would say, well, uh, if you're genuinely filled with the Spirit, you will speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not filled with the Spirit. So, that's a wrong understanding because this is a continual action. You're commanded by God, and then you're commanded 
not, it's not a one-time event, but it's a continual action that happens in your life. Fourth, I know I'm getting into the grammar, but this is in the passive voice. And this is also in English, right? You have an active voice, and you have a passive voice. So, we're used to active commands. Like, Israel, take out the trash. I mean, that's an active voice. You know, command is given, and you are actually fulfilling the command. We hear stuff like, put the hole back in the, put the dirt back in the hole. That's straight command in the active voice. But this is in the passive voice. He doesn't say, fill yourself with the Spirit. Are y'all tracking with me? He doesn't say, fill yourself, but rather, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a bit hard to understand, but it would be like saying, be loved. Now, folks, how do you do that? How do you be loved? Well, that's something that you can't do on your own, and this is why it's key. The key to everything in this text is to understand that to be filled with the Spirit means that the filling of the Spirit is the work of God, not of man. It's God's work. And it's in the passive voice because you can't do this to yourself. It's actually be you being filled. I know that doesn't fit grammatically in English, but that's the way it is in the Greek. It's something God is doing, and it's in the passive voice. You can't do it to yourself. And that's why the NLT says, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. It gets it right. I cannot be loved, but I can make myself available so that I can, those who want to love me, I need to put myself in a position where I can be loved. Are y'all listening? Because God is the one fulfilling this. You put yourself in a position, we might say, of lovability. Some of you are smiling because I don't know if you put yourself in that position lately. But when your, your need to be filled with the Holy Spirit comes, and it, it is your great desire, folks, on the authority of the Word, you'll be filled every single time. You will, on the authority of the Word, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me conclude this part by reminding you that this is, uh, in a sense, a corporate need and a corporate command. What do I mean by that? Well, the filling of the Spirit is not something merely for your own personal edification. And that's why it's so important that we have a church full of Spirit-filled people. Because whether you like it or not, you affect others around you. So, well, I'm only responsible for my own Christian life. Wrong. You're responsible for everybody else in this building. You ever thought about that? That you are, our, our faith is a one another faith. And even the, corp, even the filling of the Holy Spirit, which obviously takes place individually in your life when you submit to the Lord, it has corporate connotations to it because God does, I am filled with the Spirit, but I'm not filled to be alone and when he controls us one by one, our corporate life will be transformed. Now, perhaps this is one of the factors that we forget in church life, right? But I'm telling you, I've preached a lot of revivals in smaller churches and some larger churches. And I've preached in some churches where it was so dead. So dead. And then there's other churches you go into and it doesn't matter the size and they're just alive in God. And what's the issue going on? Well, in the dead churches, they'll sing the same songs. They may have the same programs. They may even have the same schedule for services. Exactly the same. And outwardly, they may look very much the same. 
But one is alive and one is dead. What's the difference? It's the Holy Spirit of God. you got a group of believers coming together who are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. They get inside of a building, which this is just a building, not a sanctuary. You're the sanctuary, right? And you come inside of this building and you've got a lot of people who have been controlled by the Holy Spirit of God all week long. And when you corporately come together as a body, guess what happens? Worship that's alive. But if you've been out of touch all week long with the Holy Spirit of God, you come in here and you're like, bless me preacher if you can. Go ahead and try, right? Instead of an attitude of, hey, we're here to worship the King. Because you've been controlled by the Holy Spirit. I finally saw where Blake was. You remember that youth minister comment? Oh, okay. Just want to make sure. So, remember, contrast. Alcohol versus being controlled by the Spirit of God. And some of you want me to teach on that. And one of these days, I will talk about Christian liberty. Let me just go ahead and tell you, there ain't much good associated with alcohol. All right? It's just the way it is. Let's just be honest. There's not a whole lot of good associated with it whatsoever. But the fact is, there's that contrast between altered behavior as an alcoholic versus being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, which issues forth in attitudes and actions that are given to you by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a command. It's not an option to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command by God. It's in the present tense, meaning it's continual. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's in the passive voice, meaning you can't feel yourself. This is something that God does in you uh, as you yield to Him. Now, finally, number three, how should we think about and relate to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? Misconceptions, dealt with that. Meaning, got that. But how does that apply to my life? And so, how should I think about the Holy Spirit in regard to being filled with the Spirit of God? Let me say first that it's an issue, number one, of control. Is it not? The filling of the Spirit of God is what happens when the Holy Spirit has the controlling interest in my life. That's what's going to happen. Go back and contrast again that wine versus the Spirit. Drunken and Spirit-filled people have one thing in common. They're both controlled people. Amen? Their lives and their behavior are radically changed by that which fills them. If a man is filled with anger, guess what? Then anger is going to control his life. If a woman is filled with love, then love is what's going to be manifested in her life. So when the Holy Spirit fills you, that means he has the controlling interest over your life. That's a huge thing to consider what that means. Allow me at this time to make a critical distinction. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean I have more of the Spirit than you have. It means that the Spirit of God has more of me than it has of you. Now, that may or may not be the case. But folks, when you got saved by grace through faith, the Bible says in Ephesians 1.13 that you were given the Spirit of promise and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise as an earnest, as the down payment of your arrival into heaven. You're guaranteed that. Why? Because the Spirit of God sealed you. Well, folks, it says as it says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you heard it, trusted Christ, immediately sealed by the Holy Spirit. And folks, you got all of God you were ever going to get. The Holy Spirit came to reside in you. You became the very temple of God. So the question is not, I just need more of the Spirit. 
I need more of Jesus. Folks, you got all you were ever going to get. But the issue is, how much am I giving him the controlling interest of my life? It's not uh, getting more of Jesus. It is having God get all of you. That's what being filled with the Spirit is. And it happens continually as you choose to live under the sphere of the influence of the Holy Spirit of God upon your life. So the issue is control. Number two, it's the issue of cooperation. I believe you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit from the moment you trust Jesus as your Lord. I think the Bible teaches that unequivocally. And since the Holy Spirit of God indwells you as a believer at the moment of salvation, it only makes sense that new believers are filled with the same Spirit, right? Now think about this. Well, why is it that new Christians are happier and more resolute and more committed and just on fire for God. Because I think it's the issue of cooperation. They had not gotten stupid yet like we are. Right? I mean, they've learned that they're, they, starting off, you just fully cooperate. God says, go, you go. God says, stay, you stay. And you're listening to Him. You're, in, you're attentive to the voice of God in your life. And then you're just doing what comes natural because you're saved by grace through faith. Then you start getting boring. And backslidden. And what's the central issue here? Well, we lose cooperation with our God. We're not... First, yeah, we've got to be controlled, but what about cooperation? Are we really cooperating with our God in the work of the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to cooperate with Him. We need to make this decision. We're going to let Him control, let Him lead us. And I'm going to try to get out of the way and let God accomplish this through me. If you fight against the Lord... I can already tell you it's not going to go well. His arms are way too long to box with him. So what does the Lord do? Well, he's not going to make you cooperate. He's going to just let you go on your own. You know, lost people are on their own, period. And look, you've got to differentiate between something. If, any man's ever, uh, if anyone ever comes under the control of God, it's going to be because God sought them and brought them under control, okay? Now, I'm speaking to Christians the fact of the matter is, if you're saved by grace and you're, you're gener- you are a real bona fide Christian, then God is not going to make you serve Him. He's not going to make you cooperate. Now, He can beat the fire out of you. You know, it says that in Hebrews 12, right? Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines everyone. And if you don't receive the chastisement of God, you're illegitimate. You're a bastard. If you don't get a woodshed revival on occasion, you know what that is? Yeah, that's when my dad did the spanking and I did the preaching. And I screamed the whole time, right? Well, God's going to discipline you if you belong to him. So when I'm talking to you as a Christian, folks, listen to me. Get this through your mind. Take this as a sticky note. Stick it in the right side of your brain. Or is it left side? Whichever one's the thinking part in the middle. Listen, if you don't cooperate with God, he's not going to make you. Now, he can discipline you. But cooperation is the key here. How much am I cooperating with the Lord God? How much am I letting Him work through me? And at the end of the day, if you truly belong to Him, you're going to cry out to Him and say, Lord, I'm ready to cooperate. He's got a way to push you in the corner, doesn't He? And you just kind of throw up your hands and say, Lord, okay, you got me. I'm, I'm willing to cooperate at this point. And if you've never been to that point in your life, then you will be soon enough. If you're truly saved, you're going to get to that place where you just cry out and say, Now, Lord, I'm very much ready to cooperate with you because I belong to you. And here's the deal. 
he's not a killjoy. He knows that the greatest fulfillment you can ever have in life is in him. But there are people in this room right here, there's no question that you're seeking to find that fulfillment in everything else other than the Lord. Let's be honest. And, and here's what he knows. We, we look at Christianity and we think God's up in heaven with a big stick. And every time I miss, do something wrong, he's going to smack my hand. You're missing the whole point of being saved by grace through faith. You're missing the whole point of him being your God and Savior and Lord. Folks, he didn't save you just to get you out of hell. He saved you to be in relationship with him. And the greatest fulfillment in all of life is to be a born-again Christian and be obedient to the king that you belong to. Folks, that's the sphere and orbit of grace. When you're living constantly under his care, submitted to his control in your life, not trying to be satisfied with everything else in the world, but letting, what does the scripture say? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know why he does that? Because your desires change as you delight in him. Right? You know what is most important. So, at the end of the day, uh, yes, it's control. God control me, but it's also cooperation. God, I'm going to yield myself to you. You're the potter, I'm the clay. And then finally, there's the issue of contact. In one of F.B. Meyer's books, he explains the Spirit's filling in this way. I like this. He said, most people think of the Spirit as a substance to fill us, like pulling up to a gas station and putting gas into a, in your tank. So we run out of the Spirit of God, and He needs to fill us back up again. Thus, the song, Fill My Cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord, come and quench. It's a great song. Sounds good, but it's not theologically sound. I'm sorry to say that to you, because it is an oldie, but a goodie. But the fact is, to, to have the... In, to have the understanding that I've run out of God. I just need more Jesus. Just need more God. That's the wrong understanding of it. So we run out of the Spirit and God fills us up again. That's the wrong understanding. The image we need to have is the biblical image. And here's how he takes his best effort, F.B. Meyer, to explain this issue of contact. Listen to this. He said, this is years ago, but he said, think about the elevated trains that you find in many large cities. He said, those trains run on three rails, two for the wheels and one for the electricity, right? The electricity is always there, but the train doesn't always move unless there's contact with the third rail. Touch the rail. Remember playing with these, uh, your little uh, racetracks? Remember that, Jim? Yeah, I took, uh, we, we got one for Christmas one time, and I thought it would be a good idea to take my belt and put it in between the, the prongs of the plug-in and stick it into the wall. And I blew my brother's racetrack up. Yeah, he'll tell, you that, he'll tell you that story to this day. But, man, that car would not go unless that little middle uh, thing that hit the electricity line, unless it was in contact, it would not run around that particular track. This is something similar. Touch the rail, the train moves. Pull away from the rail, and it stops. In his analogy, he said, well, the third rail is the Holy Spirit. And his power is always available. Yeah. He says this, this is funny. And unlike your local utility company, there's never a power shortage, right? But sometimes we live out of contact with the power. When this happens, our lives simply stop working the way God intends for them to work. In essence, folks, the feeling of the Spirit is this. It's the state in which the Holy Spirit is, to, is free to do all that He came into your life to do. 
Now note that. It's a state of the Holy Spirit working freely through you and accomplishing all that He first came into your life to accomplish. And that key word is state. It's not, a primary, it's not an emotional experience. It's not something reserved to only a, a few of the super saints. It's nothing more than the normal Christian life when the Holy Spirit of God is controlling your life. That's what it means to be Spirit-filled. So that's why it's a command. That's why it's in the present tense. We are to be continually controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, cooperating with the Spirit, in contact with the Spirit. It's for you, it's a command, and it's God's plan for your life. Now, if for some reason you're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God based on what we've seen, it's not because of God's reluctance to fill you. Amen? If for some reason you're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it's not God's fault. We don't have to beg Him to do what He's already promised He'll do. He's not a reluctant giver. We simply need to clear the way for God to work. Uh, Even though this analogy kind of breaks down, it fits a little well, it fits decent, you can't feel what's already full. And we get so consumed with the things of this world, don't we? I mean, we get so consumed. That's why a lot of people are missing tonight, because the Cardinals are coming on, right? Well, that's a little bit later. You could have gotten home for that, right? Some of you got it on DVR, just in case you don't make it to watch the Cardinals. Cubs are going to win. Nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just, ah, come on. I'm just, just picking. Neither can you feel something when the lid is screwed on so tight. And some of us are so full of ourselves, we don't have enough room for God. I mean, we get so, we, we, we get so consumed with thinking the Christian life is all about us that we don't even leave the Spirit of God a cooperating corner of our lives. More or less the whole part. And I know I'm guilty, just like you are, I'm preaching to myself. But in a sense, being filled, or better yet, controlled by the Spirit, is really an impossibility. As far as it depends on you. And that's why it's so important to allow Him to control you and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God. We need two things tonight. We need a kind of an emptiness feeling, and we need an openness feeling. You can't fill a jar that's full of the world. You really can't. And you can't fill a jar that's not open. And we all need this sense of desperation before God. God, I need you. Don't you love that song, I Need You? I think it was Jared that sang that last week. Lord, I need you. That, that should be our constant, desperate cry to the Lord that we need Him. There must be a willingness to God, an openness to Him And as long as we're conscious of the need and as long as we're submitting to Him, I'm telling you, the power is available all day long uh, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're born born of God, I hope you've decided that you won't live another day without the Holy Spirit of God controlling your life. Have you made yourself available? That's the key. Amen? All right. Father, thank You for Your Word and for this hour. to Lord, just get in to study Your Word. Just open it up and let your word speak to us. And Father, my prayer is along the lines of Walter McShane, the great preacher of years ago. Lord, our desire should be that we would be holy men and women of God. God, that ought to be our desire. As a matter of fact, the the greatest thing this church can pray for their pastor is I'll be a man filled with your spirit. Lord, that I'll be controlled in cooperation with your spirit. 
Lord, we're going to see a little later in the book of Acts that that's exactly what's going on in Philip's life. Lord, in Acts, he was willing, Lord, to be committed to the Holy Spirit, to, to become a deacon. And then he was willing to do whatever God would have him to do. And he ends up out in the desert and he's listening to the... He's in touch with the Holy Spirit of God and thus he was in touch in the area of obedience. To be willing to share his faith with the Ethiopian eunuch and to, to be willing to listen to the Spirit's voice in his life. And I pray, Father, that we would stay in touch with your Spirit, in cooperation, in contact, so that we listen to your voice and listen to your calling on our lives. And we obviously know that you work through the Word. And I pray, Father, that we would begin to learn your Word and that your Spirit would guide us and teach us all truth, as your Word says, uh, so that we can better serve you and depend on you. And Lord, give us that sense that without you, we're nothing. God, we need you so much. Desperately, we cry out to you. And God, I pray that whatever it takes for us to become desperate, Lord, put us in those positions where we have to cry out to you in a desperate way. And Lord, confess that we don't want to go another day without your control over our lives. Lord, would you grant this prayer in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen.